Amen. Church, good morning again. Grateful that you're here. Good morning again. There you go. That's better. Uh, if you're a guest again with us this morning, we want to just extend another uh, welcome to you. We're really glad you've chosen to be here with us. Uh, we hope you've been encouraged and that uh, you'll continue to be encouraged as we study together. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, if you want to uh, find that in your Bible or if you don't have a Bible, there might be a pew Bible there in front of you or you can find it on your phone, however you want to access that. But I want you to find Colossians 1. We're going to be reading together in just a minute. Two things really quickly uh, before we start in Colossians 1. That I, One, I was asked to mention it didn't make it into the bulletin, I don't think. Um, but June is, is our church's month. A lot of churches in town share a responsibility in serving um, food through, our, through the Meals on Wheels program to our uh, senior citizens in, in Kaufman. And June is the month that we serve Meals on Wheels. And, and um, so if you can help with that, it takes just a, a little while in a part, part of your day, uh, during the day. Uh, and you can see Alicia Ledoux, who's sitting right back here about halfway through, the, halfway up this section. You can find her after church and let her know uh, that you want to be a part of that. It would be a great help. We want to fill up. We, gotta, we, have, we have, you know, Monday through Friday during the month of June, all the way through June. So we have a lot of spots, a lot of different availability. You can do that with somebody or as you're with your family, with your kids. It's a great thing to do or grandkids if you want to do that. The other thing I want to mention uh, is really a, another announcement we've made already, but um, we are in the process of we're about to get ready to paint the exterior of our church building and as a way to acknowledge the, the significance that this facility has played upon all of our lives and in this community uh, as a way to really co commit or recommit this, this building to the Lord. Uh, we're inviting you to sign the brick. Uh, if you walk out these doors into the parking lot today, if you parked in this parking lot, I don't know that anybody's done it over here, but out these doors, down the steps, before you get to the parking lot, some of our kids and some adults started that process on Wednesday night, and so you can see that. Uh, you're invited to write your name, a prayer, a blessing, a scripture maybe that's important to you, however you want to do that. If you want to do that and take advantage of that, you're invited to do that, and uh, it will be getting painted soon, we hope. So uh, just be aware that that's, that's available. There's some Sharpie markers at the Connections booth in the foyer. So we are in uh, week four today of a series that we are calling Everyday Saints. Uh, you are more than you think is kind of the tagline to this series. And last week as a way to illustrate this idea that you are a saint, uh, we had glow-in-the-dark necklaces that I invited those who were here to put on their heads as halos. If you missed out on that fun, uh, we have some halos left over. You're not, don't, do not despair. Uh, we have extra halos, and so uh, you can take advantage of that. You can find me after church if you're really interested in that. But it was, it was quite a scene as we looked across the room and were reminded that this is a room full of saints. And, and in this series, that's really what we've been talking about is that th this word, this word saint, and kind of looking at it from various angles in, in, in the Bible, as I've said in other weeks, in the Bible, the word that is used uh, the, most, uh, the least often Christians to describe followers of Jesus is the word we tend to use the most. But the word Christian is actually only used a couple of times to describe followers of Jesus. The word that is used the most is saints. 
And it tends to be a word that we kind of shrink back from a little bit because we put people who are saints in a category that is different from us. They did something spectacular. Their lives were really important in our estimation. Uh, something happened in their life that made their life appear to us and to the, to the world that they are kind of on a, a different level than the rest, you know, normal people. But over and over and over again in the Bible, what happens is that Scripture uses this word, the trans, translated sometimes holy people, uh, sanctified Saints is another way that it gets translated. It's all the same word in, in the original language. It's the word that gets used the most, and it's always used describing normal people, ordinary people. It's one of the reasons that, I, that we're going to look at Colossians this morning. We're also going to glance at a passage in Ephesians. And every time you, Paul uses this word, he's always writing to these churches of people that were just like us. As Noah just reminded us as we gathered around the table. Jesus even picked these people. We put these guys often on kind of a pedestal, right, of who they are and what they did and their li- the life that they lived. But they were normal, ordinary people, common people that God used to transform and to change the world. And so I want us to grasp as we talk about this week after week that that is still God's plan to use you, normal, everyday, ordinary people, to transform the world. I didn't even know that this happened, but... There was a slide that was running before church, if you were paying attention to those slides. Uh, summer Blast, our children's program in the, on Wednesday nights is the, summer, is, our, uh, is the program we do for our kids during the summer. And the slide, you might notice it after church, said, in need of everyday saints. So Suzanne or Chris, there it is. Uh, everyday saints needed to make this program possible. So there's a million ways that we get engaged and invited into the story of God. And sometimes that just looks like, volunteering at church, serving in some significant way to bless and change the lives of people around us. Sometimes it may look like other things as well, but I want us to grasp as we think about this that God says that in Christ you are holy. God says that you are different, that you're set apart, and that that word that we use for that is saint. So in week one of this study, we kind of laid the foundation for this idea. In week two, we talked about that, okay, if you're a saint, it also comes with a a high calling. There's some expectation that is attached to this idea that you're a holy person. And then last week we looked at the ways that that being a saint means that we are also really just fundamentally different. We try to view the world differently, live our lives in different ways. And today we're going to look at some passages again at the beginning of Colossians and Ephesians. Uh, I'm going to start in Colossians chapter 1. I want to pray for us and for our time uh, before we do that, and give us a bit of background as well. But let's, let's start with a prayer. Father, we're grateful <clears throat> this morning that you, have, you who are holy has called us to be holy in all that we do. And we realize that there's uh, expectation that comes with that, um, that we can live into that expectation beca- also because of the work of Jesus Christ. This morning, God, I pray you'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see. I'm struck by this song that we sang that many of us are very familiar with. There's no God like Jehovah, Days of Elijah. And as we were singing that song, I just kept remembering and being reminded of the fact that I I need to repeat those words over and over and over again because I'm so tempted to submit my life to lesser idols and lesser gods than you. 
And you, God, are holy, and you've called us into this holy life. And so often we, we forget that, and we've, we fail to live up to that. We don't believe that. And I pray this morning again that you'll just continue to sink this idea deep down into our hearts as we think about the inheritance that comes as a part of being a holy person, a saint, someone who is set apart, who is one of your people. We love you and we're grateful to you. We pray your blessing upon our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we read Colossians chapter 1, I want to just a bit of background really quickly. Colossae uh, is in now the area that we know of as the country of Turkey. Uh, in, in the Bible, it's known, known as Asia Minor. And Paul writes, as Paul writes, you get this very real sense as you kind of hear his language to this church about his love and his appreciation for this church. They have recently done something really significant. And we might miss it if we just read quickly over the words, but they've done something really, really significant. And that significant thing is that they put their faith in Jesus, which is remarkable considering that they are hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem where this movement of Christianity started. But now, through the efforts of a person named Epaphras, a mission effort went out and started this church in Colossae. And now Paul is encouraged by the faith of this group of Christians who have really done this remarkable. They are Gentiles that are trying to figure out what it means to follow a Jewish carpenter's son from Nazareth. Think about that. It would be like you, know, you hearing about this person across the world that didn't, they weren't your background, they didn't, have, they, they didn't have anything in common with you. But you heard about their life, and you heard about their death, and, their, and then you heard that they were raised from the dead, and you thought, that's something that i got to pay attention to. And these people in Colossae, they recognize something is up with this Jesus guy, and we have to know more. And so I want us to, to, to kind of get a sense of what they have done is, is risky. It required a, a, a great amount of faith on their part to pursue the way of Jesus. So Paul is encouraged by their faith, as, as I think we should be. And he writes them a letter. And we're going to pick up the very beginning of this letter, but in verse 9. And it's, we're right in the middle of a prayer. We kind of get, I love, I love some of the ways that Paul writes. He, he kind of, he just writes what he's thinking. And he, if he's thinking, you know what, I need to pray for this church, he just writes that prayer out. And so we're going to kind of get to hear part of this prayer that he uh, writes to this church. Verse 9, Colossians chapter 1. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, right, again, we heard that there was this group of Gentile people that had no background with, as Jews, they didn't didn't know anything about Jesus, you know, from, I wouldn't say from Adam, but they didn't even know about Adam because he was, that was a part of the Hebrew-Israel story, right? So they didn't have a part of this connection. But Paul says, every time we keep hearing about you, we just haven't stopped praying for you because we realize that there is something unique about what you've done. You've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've chosen to follow this Jewish rabbi that you heard about. And so we continually ask God, the end of verse 9, to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you, you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please the Lord in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might that you may have great endurance 
and patience. And give, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance, my translation says, of his holy people, some translations say, of his saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. These Christians in Colossae have just put their faith in this Jewish man from Nazareth, Jesus Christ. People in Colossae believed, which is significant, and Paul recognized it. And Paul wants them to know that he is praying for them because they are about to experience attack. They're about to experience persecution. They're about to experience difficulty because they've chosen to follow the Jesus way. And in his prayer, he lays out this ra- his radical vision for the kingdom. And he prays for their knowledge to increase so that they'll understand the spirit that they have been given that is in them that is now different than the spirit that they were following, no doubt, before. And he wants them to understand that the spirit they've been given so that, he says, they can live up to the life that they've been baptized into. And they, he wants them to be growing and bearing fruit. And in verse 11, Paul says that he's, pray, he's been praying this prayer so that in the midst of whatever may come up in life, in their life, through the power of the Spirit that lives in them, they will have three things, endurance, patience, and joy. Endurance, patience, and joy. Endurance, patience, and joy. This is what God grants to people that follow Him, the ability to endure, the ability to be patient, the ability to have joy. Because look at it, He says, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. God has qualified you as saints and has enabled you to, to have endurance, patience, and joy. Paul is saying this. He's saying, Colossians... Your family now. Like, I know there's distance between where you are and where we are, but you follow the same Messiah that we follow, and we want you to know that you're a part of the family now. And that our, there, there's something else that you need to know that's that, about being a part of the, this family, and that is that our Father has an inheritance that you now have access to, though you once did not, now you do, as his children. At one time, you weren't a part of the family tree, but now you are a part of the family tree. That's what he said. That's, what, that's, what, that that's the language that he's saying. God, God has made it possible through the work that Jesus did on the cross so that now not only Jews have the capacity, the ability to follow God, now the world has the ability, has been qualified, has been made adequate is another way that we can think about that word qualified. Jesus paved the path, opened the door so that all people might come to him, even those of you who don't have any Jewish background, don't have any connection to this man that was born to Joseph and Mary, that people thought they weren't really sure what was going on. They, 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 knew, they knew there was something mysterious around his birth, but it turns out that he, he grows up and he starts claiming that he's the son of God. And then he does this miraculous thing and he proves that he's the son of God by coming back to life. And because you put your faith in him, there is an inheritance that our Father has made available to you that was not once your inheritance, but now is. 
And our Father has this inheritance that He gives to all of His children that are a part of the family tree, and you have been grafted into the family tree, Paul says. And that means that the promises that were made for God's original children are also made available to those who become part of the family tree later. The Father has qualified you to partake, to share in the inheritance. But what is, what is the inheritance? Well, the inheritance is the, the eternal salvation which God has assigned to the saints, heaven. But it's really more than just heaven, right? I mean, we, we understand that heaven is a part of our future inheritance, and Paul certainly is, is suggesting that here. But it's more than that. It's life, it's freedom, it's hope. And it's life and freedom and hope here on this side of death. That because we're God's children, like we, we know there's something unique about what we are doing here this morning, right? There are gatherings, there will be gatherings in this city and this county and in cities and counties around our country and around the world this week where lots of people will get in a room and they, those people believe some of the same things. But those gatherings are not church, right? I'm talking about community groups and gatherings where other things will take place around a cause. But those are, are, are not church. Those are not the body of Christ, the ecclesia, the gathered people, the holy people that have been set apart for God's purposes. That we realize that there's something unique about what we're doing here. There's something significant about living our life on this side of death. That it's not just the hope that we have after death but it is also the hope that we have on this side of the grave. And that hope brings about life and freedom here. Life that cannot be ended. That even if you die, you aren't really going to die if you follow Jesus Christ. Like We know that, right? But just, just let that thought kind of wash over you this morning that even though you die, if you are in Christ, you don't really die. Freedom that cannot be taken away from you because you are in Christ. Hope that is enduring because what the Colossians knew, and I think what we know too, is that life is not always fair. Often things happen the way we would never plan. We certainly wouldn't wish upon others. Even when you follow Jesus, maybe especially when you follow Jesus, there is no free pass that gets handed out to any of us, is there? That suffering, you get to avoid suffering because you follow Jesus. You get to avoid pain and loss and hurt. No, what we have is a promise from through the inheritance that we have received already from our Father. That in the we're not we don't get a pass from pain and suffering and hurt and loss. What 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 we get is a promise that in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the hurt and the loss. That we have a life that cannot be ended, church. Amen? We have a promise that there is freedom that is our rightful possession that the enemy cannot take from us and hope that endures all of the darkness. Now that you're a part of the family, Paul says, you need to know that our Father is rich. And He's not rich in the way that people tend to think about wealth, though He is wealthy that way. But he's not, it's, it's not the point, the inheritance idea. It's not like we're lining up and God's going to be passing out money because human money, currency, is not valuable in the kingdom of God. 
It doesn't have the same value that we assign to it. No, our Father is rich in power. That will give us, this prayer says, endurance and patience and joy. And the inheritance that had been set aside for God's children is those things. And there is plenty of it, Paul says. For those who were near, who, who came to Christ that were Jews, and those who were far off that came to Christ later. But Colossae isn't the only place that Paul writes to. He also writes to the church in Ephesus. A similar message, and I'm going to read from the slides because I want to use a translation uh, the English Standard Version, that, that uses this word saint. So let's read this together. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is Ephesians chapter 1, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. So very, a very similar message, right, to the letter he wrote to the church in Colossae. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, And of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places? far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the the fullness of him who fills all in all. What is Paul praying here? He says, I want the eyes of your heart to be opened to see the hope that you have. Again, a church that Gentile, full of Gentile people, didn't have a deep connection to Jewish history and to the Israel story, and now these people are coming to Christ. And, and, and Christianity right, became known and has really even to this day kind of remained known for our hope beyond the grave, our, what we believe about heaven. It's one of the primary things that we're known for as, as Christians what we believe about our eternal home, our eternal salvation. But I want us to be really clear this morning. I really believe that when you read Paul and you read the things that he writes in both of these places and others, that he believes that the fuel, if that's what Christianity is kind of one of the big things that Christianity is known for, it seems to me that Paul believes that that's fine to be known for that, but the fuel of Christianity, the thing that drives Christianity, that makes Christianity different from other religions in the world, is hope. It's it's the driving force behind our faith. Hope is this, this underlying foundational idea that keeps moving us forward, that helps us, honestly, hold on. Hope that whatever you're experiencing in this life is always temporary. Hope that sinks down deep into our bones and reminds us that Jesus has been seated at the right hand of the Father. Far above, Paul says, any other rule or power or authority. Which means nobody's got anything on Jesus. He's in charge. He has 
he has at his disposal all the power and all the rule and all the authority, which means there is not unlimited power and rule and authority for all the other powers of darkness that are at work in our world. They have limited ability to have a hold on your life and on mine. Hope is this fuel for Christianity. And I honestly think that sometimes even hope gets kind of a bad rap. Hope can feel a little bit like empty. Sometimes we use the word hope. and Just think about how you hear the word hope used or maybe even we've, you've used it yourself. And it kind of it often gets used in a way that almost makes it sound like we're not quite sure about whether or not something will happen. You know, I hope this will happen. But in that word, think about it. When we say things like that, I hope such and such will happen, it may be that that's an appropriate use of that word. But anytime we're talking about a promise from God, when we use that word, I hope that blank, God will do blank. If God has said that God will do it, then we can, it's not, there's not any uncertainty about whether it's going to happen. It will happen. God has promised that it will, and God will keep God's word. Because this is the thing, when we, when we use the word hope in this way, that kind of makes it come across like we're, we're a little bit unsure about whether or not it will happen, that is not Christian hope. Christian hope is not wishful thinking, church. Like, I, I, I hope this, I wish this, will ha- this would happen. I hope that this happened. No, it isn't just this, this positive attitude, like a, a cheerful outlook, which is often the way the word gets used. That isn't Christian hope. Christian hope is, is looking ahead with expectation and a, and a confidence that what you're looking for is going to come to pass. One writer said, hope is faith on its tiptoes. And I like that. Because I picture this, this sort of leaning in, expect, you know, expecting, you're kind of looking over the fence, looking down the road, anticipating that what's going to happen in Christ is going to, you're, you're believing that it's going to happen and you're, you're expecting that. Christian hope is this looking ahead with expectation, expectation that what is to come is better than what is. And for the Christian, our inheritance, Paul says in Colossians and Ephesians, is what allows us to have that sort of perspective. Because we know that the inheritance is, is, already, is coming and has already arrived because we have this ability to endure, to be patient, to have joy in difficult situations. And I think because so often we end up looking at hope like the world looks at hope, sometimes my life doesn't look any different. Sometimes your life doesn't look any different. We, we, we tend to think, you know, well, I got to just kind of get up and just kind of slug through the day just like everybody else. No, we should be the most joyful people. We should have the greatest endurance, the most patient among us because we're filled with the Spirit of God. And for the Christian, our inheritance is what allows us to have that sort of perspective. In Ephesians, when Paul talks about the inheritance of the saints, there is, there is clearly this element that something is coming, but there is also found here an element that he's talking about that this inheritance is experienced before you die. You're holy. You're set apart. You're different. And that that should change your life. 
before death. It's a security and a comfort and a guarantee that nothing on this side of death can actually kill you because even if it kills you, it hasn't killed you. Christian hope grips our hearts and won't allow us to give up because there is always an underlying expectation that things will improve. With hope, there is always a light, even if it is tiny, at the end of the tunnel. And what I want us to see is that, yes, our inheritance is eternity. But that inheritance of eternity is actually, you know, is actually part of, we, we, we kind of lean in and think, you know, expect, we're expecting that, that future, but it also changes the way we live today. And I, and I see this. I see this every day in many of your lives. And, and I thought about this morning just going, you know, like section by section and starting to just name people's lives that I have seen changed because, of you, because you know your identity in Christ, right? I see it every day in many of you. And I think of those of you who have lost people that are dear to you. And you're enduring. And you're trying to find a joy in the midst of that pain. Who have endured divorce and health challenges and financial struggles and marriage struggles. Trying to make it through 8th grade or 10th grade or 12th grade for our students. And some of you are in those things still and you're still wondering if there is an end. Can our marriage make it? Can I get past this thing that I'm in the middle of? How will it work out tomorrow? What will the kids' lives look like in the future? Will they turn out the way we hope? And if, what if they do or what if they don't? Or what if they didn't? What will the results of this weight that I'm currently carrying be? Will I survive this loneliness, this grief that feels unbearable to me? Is there a, a light at the end of the tunnel for that? And what I want you to hear this morning is that in Christ you will survive this or whatever is ahead of you. I will survive this. We will survive it because God has qualified us, church, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to receive our inheritance. But we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because just a short glance around the world and you know, and I know, that we live in a time that is full of despair. Despair on every level, local, national, global. There are problems everywhere to be worried about. And unless we're paying attention and we're actively resisting the, the, you know, this, this pressure to, to also become people of despair then we, you know, we can succumb to the message we're being sold and start believing that there is no, no way out. And what I want us to hear this morning is that that is not our story. And that's what, honestly, that's what I think should fuel evangelism and wanting us to share Jesus as we interact and rub elbows and spend time with people in our lives and our circles of influence who are hurting and struggling and lost and lonely and grieving, that we have a hope that they need 
And it may not look like you sitting down and having a book, chapter, and verse Bible study with them, but it may, it may be that you first live your life in a way that they can tell that something is different. And then when they ask you what's different, it's not because you eat certain, you're on a certain diet or you have a certain you know, weight loss plan or you work out a certain number of days a week or you shop at a certain, you know, it's because of Jesus Christ. And we've got to be sure that the answer that we give to the hope that we have is Jesus Christ. Our endurance, our patience, and our joy are provided from this inheritance that has been given to us. And it is a gift that is free to everyone who wants it. Our goal, so so that we can hold on to it, is to continue to fix our eyes on Jesus. And there's a story that I love. I actually referenced it not too long ago, but I I thought, you know, I want to share it again because I I, I love this story at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. He tells this story about two people that built a house, and one person built it on a foundation of rock, of, of concrete, we might say, and a storm came, and, it, and, it, and the house stood firm. It didn't blow over. And another person built the house on a foundation of sand, and a storm also came. And what we always need to notice about that story is that the storm came for both people. Nobody got a free pass on the storm. But one person's foundation was prepared for the storm and one person's was not. And Max Lucado, in a book that he wrote recently, proposed a modern-day version of this story that I thought was appropriate in light of us thinking about our inheritance and thinking about our hope that we have because of Jesus Christ. And he suggests that a modern-day version of the story might read like this. Two people set out to build their houses. The first went to what he calls RPF home supply, regrets, pain, and fear. He ordered lumber that was rotted by guilt, nails that were rusty from pain, and cement that was watered down with anxiety. Since his home was constructed with RPF supplies, every day was consumed with regret and pain and fear. The second builder chose a different supplier. She secured her supplies from Hope Incorporated. Rather than choose regret, pain, and fear, she found ample promises of grace and protection and security. She made the deliberate, conscious decision to build a life from the storehouse of hope. What's he saying? He's saying there is this inheritance that is promised to us beyond death but is available to us before we die. The payments of this inheritance are already getting paid out to the children of God. And they aren't going to come in money form. They're, they're going to come with the ability to endure, the ability to have extraordinary patience. The King James word for patience is long-suffering. Joy that is unexplainable, that is a part of our identity and a part of who we are that we can't create or muster up on our own, but we can, we can access because we have a spirit that is at work within us that is in the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And what we are invited into in view of our inheritance, in light of our inheritance, is to build our house from the storehouse of hope. And our our inheritance is a promise for saints beyond this life, but it is also a guarantee that when the storms come, though they may knock us to our knees, because we've built our house in the right way, the house will stand. Let's pray together.
Father, we are grateful this morning that we have access to an inheritance that is promised from our Father as holy people, as people who have been set apart, who have been called by you. God, I pray that we will not only long for this eternal inheritance that we know is coming after death, but that we'll tap into and access and believe with faith on our tiptoes that this inheritance is also something we can embrace today. And I pray as we go out from this place, God, that you'll, you'll, you'll grab the hearts of us, us in this room this morning who are feeling loneliness and grief and guilt and shame and that you'll speak into those parts of our hearts that are that those of us that have doubts and fears and anxiety and concerns when we're as we're wondering how are we going to make it how are we going to endure this moment that you'll remind us that we have through the power of the spirit the ability to endure to find joy to have patience god we hold on to that promise longing for our eternal inheritance one day and leaning into the realities that it makes possible on this side of death. We thank you and we praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, it may be that you have not uh, surrendered your life to Jesus and today would be a great day because as I said, that inheritance is available and accessible to all who surrender their lives. And I want to I invite you to respond if that's what you need to do. But it may also just be that, that today we leave this place with a little more, a little more hope, a little, a little more intentional purpose as we think about how we're going to live our lives this week. That we're not going to give in to the temptations of the enemy that will attempt to make us like everybody else. But we'll stand firm and fix our eyes on Jesus and build our house from that storehouse of hope. Let's stand together. And let's sing. Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me ever to adore thee, May I still thy goodness prove While the hope of endless glory Fills my heart with joy and love I was lost in utter darkness Till you came and rescued me I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free. Now my soul can sing a new song. Now my heart has found a home. Now your grace is always with me and I'll never be alone come thou found come thou king come thou precious peace hear your bride to you 
we sing. Come thou fount. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Never let me wander from thee. Never leave the God. Lord, take and seal it, seal it for the courts above. Come thou found, come thou king, come thou precious prince of peace. Hear your bride to you we sing. Come thou found of our blessing. Come thou found, come thou king. Come thou precious prince of peace. Hear your bride to you we sing. Come thou found of our blessing. Be seated, please. 